Welcome to The Practice Podcast, a show created by lawyers to help lawyers in life and business without all the complicated lawyer language. Let's welcome Bast Amron founders and your hosts, Jeff Bast and Brett Amron. Today, we have a very special guest, Mr. Barry Eisler. Barry is the Vice President and Assistant General Counsel at ADP, where he manages all the legal affairs for ADP's small business services and human resources outsourcing business units. And those units represent, Brett, over $9 billion, with a B, $9 billion of revenue. I'm sorry, how much was that? $9 billion with a B. Wow, that's a lot. That's that a is. Deal of it's pretty big. He's been at AD, Barry, you've been at ADP, what, 15 years? Uh, about 15 years. I joined in 2006. 2006. And before that, he was an M&A corporate and securities lawyer at the law firm of Chadbourne and Park. And you were there for 13 years. About 13 years. Yeah. Welcome, Barry. If you do the math, you can see how long I've been practicing law. You are. You know what that means. It means you're old. <laughs> Welcome, Barry. <laughs> I just want guys. you to know, every guest is called a special guest by Jeff, but this you were called a very special guest. So this, this is, yeah. I just want you to know, you should feel honored. I want you Maybe. both to know that I didn't even <laughs> consciously do that. That's how special see, that's you right. are. I threw in a very right. without, it just came out. Maybe this is a very special episode well, I don't know. of the Practice Podcast. It might be. I'm going to step out of the way a little bit to let you guys bro man <laughs> stay, a little stay and tuned. jump in here and there. <laughs> that is true. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. So Barry, <laughs> yes. tell us. First, thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you. And thanks for being here. We really do appreciate having you. And we know you're a busy guy and we appreciate you taking the time to come here and speak with us and with all our millions of listeners. So how'd you end up here? How'd you end up as a lawyer at ADP? Tell us your background. How did I end up as a lawyer at ADP? So out of law school, I went right to the big firm. I went to law school in New York with one person in this room, at least. (laughs) Um, And uh, I stayed in New York. Go Violets. Yeah, go Violets. (laughs) I stayed in New York. I did the big firm thing. I went to Chadbourne and Park, where I was an M&A, securities, corporate lawyer. Did that for about 13 years. And then I made the move in-house when I joined ADP in 2006, as we mentioned. So, and how big is Chadbourne and Park? How big is, was that office? Chadbourne, that or office firm was probably office. about two or 300. I think the whole firm was about 350 or 400 people. They're not around anymore. I don't know where everybody went, but big chunks of that firm are at Norton Rose mm-hmm. and uh, Winston and Strawn. Right. But at that time, you know, those are pretty big. It was a big firm. It had a long and storied history. Right. And what was your practice there? I'm sorry if you said it already, but what was your uh, mostly M and A, corporate yeah. and securities. Yeah. The group that I was with really represented kind of large institutional clients. Mm-hmm. So I had the, I did a lot of work for the same five or six kind of big right. conglomerate type clients. And then you went from Chadbourne and Park to ADP, or did you have a stop in between? No, directly to ADP. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first move when I joined ADP, I was a corporate M and A securities lawyer there as well. So it was a really smooth Natural. transition as a substantive matter, right? My practice as a lawyer hardly changed at all because I'd been representing clients, not ADP, but clients like ADP in these same exact kinds of matters. So instead of working for a bunch of different companies and doing different deals in different industries, I was basically doing deals and helping with the securities work for just one client. And ADP, and this would have been ADP acquiring other businesses? Yeah, exactly. Over the time? Yeah. General, I mean, a couple of dispositions, but mostly acquisitions. Wow. What was the size of the legal department back then when you joined? Do you know? That's a good question. It was probably about 120 or 130. I mean, that's not, like not a all large lawyers. That includes, you know, paralegals, compliance professionals. But that's yeah. a pretty decent sized law firm in and of itself. Yeah, exactly. I think we're at around 150 or 160 now. Lawyers or staff? No, like that would everyone. be the entire department. Okay. Right? 
Wow. And so what made you make that change? I think a lot of lawyers out there, we're trying to focus on what our listeners may be interested in, you know, think about making that move and think about taking the, you know, making the transition to either in-house or some other position. What was that experience like? Well, it would be a better story if I told you that my dream all my life was to be an in-house lawyer, (laughs) but that's that's not really how it played out. It was more like I was done with the big firm thing. And like, this was the skill set that I had. And like, I think a lot of lawyers that have spent too much time at big firms started looking around and in-house looked attractive. And then I really, it was kind of a stroke of luck when I found this role at ADP because it was such, like I said before, it was such a smooth transition in terms of the substance of my practice. Completely different environment, right? Mm -hmm. But the actual doing deals, doing securities work, doing corporate governance, it was all stuff I was already, you know, an expert at. So I felt really confident making that move. Right. And so your client was... Your employer. Exactly. Well, that and you get the, to understand rather than having to learn the structure of every new client that comes in your door from when you were at a big firm, now you sort of know, right? The Yeah, exactly. The, and you start to see right? you start to see kind of more of the story of like so when I'm doing deals, right? It's all M and A. You start to see the story of like what kind of deals are they doing? What are they looking for? Which deals right. don't work, right? Like what is their diligence process right. look like? What's their risk tolerance when they're doing deals? So there's some knowns going into every new deal. You have that sort of taken care of, and then you just look at whatever the acquiring or, you know, acquiree, I should say. Right. And you get used to doing kind of the same process with the same people. Right. Right. And when you joined ADP, so transitioning from Chadbourne to ADP, who did you answer to at that time? So it's always in the legal department. Right. The guy who who hired me just a few years later became our general counsel. So I reported to him for a while, and then... Around that time is when I shifted because I'm not still really an M and A lawyer. I, right. Well, I'm still an M and A lawyer, but I don't practice M and A anymore. <laughs> right. Once um, an M and A lawyer, always, always an M&A <laughs> exactly. Lawyer. You never shake that. Um, so around the time that he became general counsel, there was an opening on a legal team, which is what brought me to Miami for one of our business units. And so he kind of tapped me on the shoulder and was like, "Why don't you take on this challenge? We'll move you down to Miami. Mm-hmm. You know, lead the legal team for one of our business units." And that's the case where I really made a departure from my practice. So unlike when I went in as an M&A lawyer, now I'm in a world where I'm not the expert anymore. I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm sort of (laughs) learning how to lead a team of other experts, right? And learn a lot about a business and kind of develop and challenge myself into doing a completely different role, which has turned out to be one of the best moves I've ever made. So just, you know, maybe that's just personal, but it's really... It's much more nice. rewarding doing that kind of stuff. Well, in addition to being closer to Jeff. And I got closer right. to Right. Yeah. I mean, as we all. Well, and you, Brett. We joke. Well, I appreciate <laughs> that, but we're all very blessed to be near him. But we joke, but when he moved down here, yeah. it was like he was our fourth kid. He did come to my house. Yeah. Jolly would feed him, take good care of him. I have no doubt. I was, I was I very, have, very I dependent no on doubt. the Bass family. <laughs> but I think you said something really important there among other things, but in particular, I'll pull it out, which is that even though you didn't necessarily know the particular area, substance of what you were coming to lead, you know, you know how to lead, right? And one of the things you did was pull upon the expertise of those that you were sort of leading and the team that you were leading. Yeah. And that's kind of one of my favorite parts of the job Mm -hmm. really is because, you know, I'm a legal executive managing different areas of law, litigators, ERISA lawyers, employment lawyers, a government affairs function, contracts function. I mean, all of these different functions are now reporting into me. Right. And I'm not an expert really in any of them, right? Like I said, I was a corporate (laughs) M&A lawyer. The closest would be the transactional folks Mm -hmm. and the contracts where I felt like I could really step in and add a lot of value. 
Other than that, it was kind of being that leader, listening to what people have to say, trusting their expertise. And they're coming to me with the real judgment calls, not the kind of technical questions, because I don't have anything to offer as yeah. a technical matter. Hmm. But when there are decisions that leak into the business side or affect companies' risk tolerance, that's where I can kind of add some value there. So in a sense, like these in-house, so we're talking about these experts you're talking about are yeah. in-house lawyers themselves. And they report to you, you know, you're their client in a sense, but you internally have a client that's whoever the business person might be in well, the division or not? I don't know. That, that a, by the way, I should say, I should pause yeah. and just say that I don't speak for ADP. Okay, right? yeah. I'm speaking in my personal capacity, et cetera. Do you want to put that um, in a more serious <laughs> voice, a text tag and title not included? Right? Yeah, exactly. A nice long disclaimer. Right. <laughs> uh, so I am speaking for myself personally and not in my capacity as vice president and assistant general counsel. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Is that better? That's yeah. very good. Um, well done. But yeah, no, I don't think it's fair to say that I was their client, right? And if you go back to the code of professional responsibility or whatever, you know, an in-house lawyer's client is the corporation as an entity. Right. So I am not their client. Our business partners are not really their client. Your client is the corporation. And, you know, maybe that's something you learned in law school or studied for the bar exam and have since forgotten. But I think for in-house lawyers, if you kind of keep that in the front of mind, it will answer a lot of questions and kind of guide you. So those folks who were experts and had their jobs, I'm their manager, but I really think of myself as their colleague, right? right? And we're working together to solve problems and right. deliver solutions for the business. So uh, yeah, so it wouldn't be accurate to call me their client or even say the president of a business unit or a sales leader. Like they're not your client in any kind of individual capacity or even in their role in their title. You have the like the right. larger obligation to the corporation as a whole. Right. But that corporation acts through representatives, Correct. right? And so somebody's acting on behalf of the corporation or making decisions. Because ultimately, right. an in-house lawyer who's negotiating terms of a deal of some sort has to get client approval for some decisions, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can say client kind of little c informally. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Stakeholders, yeah. Right. another term people use. Right. Right? right. But yeah, you're certainly working with people and you're deferring to them on questions that are, you know, business decisions versus legal decisions. But even somebody in the business, even an executive, you know, they've only got so much authority with respect to the corporation's balance sheet. And so in many ways, the legal department or certainly a legal leader is something of a check on that. Right. It's kind of an informal control function. It's not mm -hmm. really a control function in a formal sense, but a bit of a gatekeeper, if you will. Right. So ADP is, I think most people would know it as a payroll company, right? Right. But it does a lot more today, I would imagine, yeah. given some of the roll up, right? So can you give us sort of a sense of just generally what yeah, if you're so the term for the industry these days is human capital management or HCM. I like, that. I like that. Which is to take it beyond just payroll into HR administration, mm -hmm. time and labor management, benefits administration, any you know, background checks, employee screening, tax filing, tax credits. I mean, there's a number of businesses that are for the most part adjacent to kind of the HR stack within right. a corporation and not even just big corporations even small companies small businesses and that's adp total source is that right or adp total source is one business with one business unit within adp and that's our professional employer organization 
So that is kind of the the richest, most robust kind of HCM offering in the marketplace, right? Because it's all of that HR outsourcing with a co-employment mm-hmm. element to it. So ADP become or Total Source becomes a co-employer with the client mm-hmm. of the employees, and that allows a PEO to offer benefits, provide workers' compensation, do state unemployment management, a, a bunch of kind of additional offerings and services that wouldn't be available without that employment relationship. So like to use an example, if we hired ADP Total Source at, at Bass Damron. Which you should. Which we should. Okay. So, <laughs> so I know you're not on the sales side, but the idea would be that we would co-employ, our employees would work for us and yeah, they'd, Total they'd, Source. Yeah. So it'd be co-employment. I mean, you, you're obviously going to manage the right. day-to-day of your employees, right. but you would get your benefits through Total Source. Your workers' compensation would be through Total Source, and your employees' paychecks and W-2s would come from Total Source or the PEO, unlike right. probably what you what you have today. Right. Very cool. I have a question shifting gears a little bit. So you have this team of lawyers. Do you and your team also hire outside lawyers for components of your practice? Yes. Right. So there are some areas where we just need that advice and guidance because it's, you know, it's either too risky or too sophisticated, or there's questions that are kind of beyond what we're going to do as in-house lawyers. Generally, my team's not going to like dig deep and start researching cases and drafting memos. Like that's not what we do in-house, right? (laughs) Right? Right. So if there are really sticky questions of interpretation of the law, or if we're, say, trying to bundle our products in some new and unique way that Mm -hmm. has regulatory implications, we might go to an outside firm with expertise for a blessing. So that's one example. Litigation, obviously, we use outside counsel. I've got a team that manages litigation from in-house, but they're not, you know, they're not arguing in court. Right. And then, yeah, I mean, there's various kind of random places where we'll use outside counsel. And your in-house lawyers... They don't track hours. So there, here, by the way, here's a, another pitch this for the, those. There you go. <laughs> thinking about the in-house gig, they don't track hours. Do they track hours at not, all? Or? We do not track hours. Okay. So for all of your listeners that are out there doing their timesheets and billing hours, come on in-house. Are you hiring? Because uh, maybe you want to put in a plug. I am hiring here. right now, actually. <laughs> oh, there you go. If you're listening, reach yeah. out to Barry. So what I was going to ask was related to tracking hours is what percentage of time is actual quote unquote billable time versus managing outside lawyers for your well I mean that is we don't use the term billable time right. but I mean that would, right. that's value added time right I mean right. If you're managing outside lawyers there's not a lot of places where we aside from litigation there's not a lot of places where we use outside counsel to just kind of run with matters for us like it's generally we go to discrete, them for specific right. yeah discrete advice and I'm sure other corporations might run their legal departments differently but that's kind of how we do it at ADP Right. And what are some issues that you are seeing these days that pop up, some of the more challenging issues given the scope of the services, right, that ADP provides in employment? I mean, employers are having, right, all (laughs) kinds of issues, but like, are there like two or three that are really popping up all the time? Are we including COVID in this conversation or? I just said, (laughs) I said current Current. times, right? Yeah. So obviously that is a host of issues, COVID being one, but you now have employees that could be working all over the place, right? You maybe have one office and you may have employees working all over the United States or maybe even internationally now, right? 
Yeah. So, you know, as horrible as this pandemic is overall in the HCM industry, it's tended to be kind of a positive, right? Because we can add a lot of value for our clients who are struggling with these kinds of issues. What should my mask policy be? What should I do about vaccines? If you have the richer HCM bundles, Mm -hmm. right? Like not just payroll, we might have you know, sample policies or what kind of best practices, that kind of HR advice. We can really help small businesses, even medium-sized businesses, kind of manage this stuff. Mm -hmm. And then there's the technology side of it, right? So we've got our app that can track and check in every day. Do I have any symptoms? You know, how am I feeling? Do I have my vaccine? So there's a tech side to it as well. Mm -hmm. That's an offering as part of the bundles? Yeah, Yeah, I don't want to get too far into ADP (laughs) product set, but yeah, that's something we have. So that's been really, I mean, it's been... A lot of internal work, especially the beginning of the pandemic, sure. when nobody knew what was going on. I mean, it was, that was much more stressful. Again, it's weird to talk about it this way, but as we sort of settled into the pandemic and mm-hmm. it became like a normal, right? That's the point where it was really more opportunity for companies in this industry than it was a challenge. Now, internally, we have all the same challenges that any other large organization has, you know, with the, the vaccines, the turnover, moving to remote work, like all of that stuff applies internally. But again, most of that, you know, the legal department and our lawyers, you know, we're involved in our return office plans and helping with those policies and stuff. But it's, I wouldn't say it's like a huge part of our mission, right? Well, at some point I would, you know, at the, you, you went back to the beginning of the pandemic, right? Yeah. All of us were sitting around saying like, what is going to happen here? Nobody right. knew. Yeah. Shifting to, okay, so now what do we do? Is, do you guys sort of, at some point when could you see like target when you all internally at ADP were like, okay, so now we need to figure out what our clients yeah. need and how do we get moving in that direction? Yeah. yeah. So I don't want to, no, I don't want to speak for ADP, but yeah, you know, yeah. we're in our transition back to the office. Like mm-hmm. we're not going fully remote anytime soon, like right. some other companies have. And I've actually forgot something that a lot of the work for a company like ADP or, or others in our industry related to the pandemic was the government programs, right? So the Paycheck Protection Program mm. was something that was run through payroll and was related to payroll. So obviously ADP had a big part to play there. A lot of work for the legal teams as we were kind of navigating this whole new area of law and sure. a statute that was drafted, you know, <laughs> overnight right? And, and dumped on the Small Business Administration who had never administered anything right, like that before. Like that. You know, there was a lot to figure out there. And then with the Social Security yeah. deferrals and right. the employee retention tax credits, these are all things that are going to flow through a business's relationship with their HCM company. Yeah. So a lot of work there. But again, since I think ADP pretty much got it right, yeah. you know, a lot of opportunity. We found clients got stickier than ever as we helped them through those kinds right. of uh, programs. Well, you guys really, because everybody was kind of playing catch up, but you guys really had to be the leaders yeah. <laughs> in figuring yeah. things out. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I remember at that time when we were all trying to figure it out, we all had versions. I remember people sharing versions of spreadsheets where they were calculating the PPP and how right. to handle it. And it was uh, it was just chaos for us. But you guys had to be on the front line because you're also answering to clients right. who were asking yeah, you, what the exactly. heck do we do here? But yeah. again, we tried to turn it into an opportunity. And in fact, yeah. our legal department, including myself, I mean, it was like all hands on deck, you know, learn how this stuff works, help our technology teams kind of develop products and reports mm-hmm. so our clients can press a button, print out their paycheck protection program report, submit it to their lender, and then they're off to the races, right? Nice. So that's an advantage of, again, this, this isn't a pitch for ADP, but no, no, that's no, an no, advantage no, well, for, being, actually, you know, well, for having our scale and yeah. our market position. Like but look, there are companies, yeah. 
I'm not saying there are companies that match ADP, but there are right. companies like ADP out there that your job, as Jeff indicated, was to figure it out to help your client base, right? right? So you, you literally had to do it before anybody else did it to yeah. figure out what was going on so that, and then set up the tech, set up the form, yeah. set up the policies. Exactly. And to catch up quicker, faster than anybody else did. And so I imagine that you're, when you say all hands on deck, I mean, people have no idea what yeah. that meant at that time. Yeah, right? exactly. You know? And to take it back to the beginning of our conversation, right? So if I consider myself originally an M&A lawyer, mm -hmm. right? That was right. my training. And now I'm learning about the minutia of how the Small Business Administration might you know, run a Administer, program like right, this. Yeah. So everybody kind of had to learn this stuff. And, it, you know, there was no playbook for that, right? I mean, we were making it up as we went along. Right. But it's also, you know, learning in a manner that you then have to communicate to somebody else as, you know, you're becoming the teacher. You're the student becoming the oh, teacher yeah. overnight, literally. Yeah, exactly. So I talked about our technology development teams, but there was also, you know, a web development team because our FAQs are up there and our yeah. ADP's 800,000 clients are going to hit that website looking for answers on how these programs work, you know? And so wow. our legal department had a big part in making sure those answers were right. Well, congratulations <laughs> on making it through. You still have hair. So have that's, some uh, hair. You know, that's a good. Still uh, have a job. Something's working. <laughs> that's right. a, that's right. a good sign. So, all right, let's talk about the, you know, so the transition from law firm to in-house. Yeah. There are all those lawyers out there listening to this who are thinking about it. Any sort of piece of advice you would give someone who's just thinking about making that move? Yeah. You know, I would say do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're done. Uh, podcast yeah. over. Thanks for listening. By the way, everybody. he means that for anyone whose email is, does not end with at bastamron.com. Exactly. Right? Not, I would never want any right. of your people who are obviously dedicated to private practice. Right. But uh, <laughs> No, look, if it's the fit for you, you know, I mean, it's, I think it's obviously a personal choice, right? And it's, and it's where you want to take your career. I couldn't be happier that I made that move. You know, I had 13 years at a big firm, like I had really had enough. It's not just the billable hours. It was kind of, you know, I was at the point where the pressure to kind of produce billables and do marketing and sales. And that was, I Business never felt that was a strength right. of mine. And mm -hmm. I didn't want my career to have to depend on that. So by going in-house, I was able to sort of still practice at kind of level that kept me engaged without having that whole other side of it. Right. So for me, in my situation, that was like the big draw. Right. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I think a lot of lawyers encounter that struggle with, hey, I've spent the first however many years of my career developing my technical skills. Now I'm expected to add this completely separate and distinct right. skill of business development, which is totally unrelated to anything <laughs> you've been doing for 10 years. They didn't teach it in law school. They probably haven't been encouraging it, training, facilitating, or doing anything else, but suddenly you're expected to just start doing it. Exactly. And so I think a lot of law young, young lawyers encounter that. That's part of why, you know, we try to encourage our young lawyers to do it from the beginning because it's not, it doesn't happen overnight. You need to work on that right. for pretty much your whole career to develop it. All right. So somebody's making the move and now flipping the table a little bit. How would you What's the advice that you give to the client, to the law firms that you now hire? Because you used to be the hiree, right? Right. You used to be that mm. corporate lawyer hired by the big corporations yeah, for a, a terrible deal. Client. And now you're a terrible <laughs> I'm a client. Terrible client. <laughs> Why? All right. Let's you don't, ask, you don't, let's uh, yeah, you don't want me as a first. client. Why personally. are you a terrible client? Because I'm really demanding. That's, so, yeah, that's, I have that's extremely, not a terrible I have client. extremely high expectations. Okay. 
in terms so have, of responsiveness and work product. All right. So what is your expectation in terms of responsiveness? You, it, just, uh, you want a response? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, responsiveness, actually, yes. It's get back fast. Like if you right. don't return calls, if you don't get those emails back fast, yeah. even an find, email, I'll find another firm. And I would imagine <laughs> right. that even because, an email that says, you know, is this time sensitive? I'm tied up. Can I get it to you at whatever time? Can I respond? You know, I imagine that that's satisfies Acknowledge the you. note. Yeah, you know, yeah. you don't have to have the answer that right. day. Right. I mean, there's a little cliche in our team. It's like, don't let the sun set on an email. Right. right. <laughs> or a phone There's call. no voicemails anymore. Right. But, right. You know. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And that's what we tout here too. Same right. thing with our clients, right? Which is, or opposing counsel even in most cases. Yeah. Like, there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to respond. Right. So, but that's, I mean, that's almost like baseline. Like, if you can't get that right, forget it. But then, you know, there's all the standard stuff that you probably encounter with your clients, you know. I mean, you know, be straightforward in your billing. Like, don't make me have to question bills and figure stuff out. I mean, it should be pretty straightforward and fair. And then there's like a level of professionalism and advice that I'm looking for. You know, again, I was trained kind of old school, white shoe firm. Everything was perfect. There were no typos presentation like mattered and everything was super tight and super professional and that's kind of what i expect from my law firm so if i see something that comes out the door and it looks a little half-assed to me it really burns me so that that's why i say i'm a difficult client right well i don't i I mean i I hear you're saying difficult but i think those are kind of like you expect a response right and you don't want messy work product right and so oftentimes i think what we've encountered both internally and externally if you get something that is full of typos it immediately has a suggestion of a lack of care. Right. Right. And so then you start questioning the substance of the memo. Now the typos or whatever it is have distracted from the actual content of the memo, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a little old school, but you're right. I think it's an indicator of the kind of effort that went into the work, right? Right. But the other thing that's important, I think, is to get kind of actionable advice. There are lawyers out there that give kind of ivory tower answers to your questions, which... What does that mean? What do you mean? They can just be kind of academic. Well, you know, there is a case out there that says X, Y, Z. (laughs) Right. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I need to get to the next step. So what do other companies in a similar situation do when they're confronted with an issue presented in case X, Y, Z? Well, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals back in 1975 (laughs) ruled that. Okay. That's great. Thank you so much for that. But tell me. How exactly. that helps me and what can I do? Right? What is that, that's what you're looking for. Exactly. How Practical. Because I, I got that's how I have to talk to you know my sure. business stakeholders. Right. They don't want to hear about a case in the Fifth Circuit from 1972. They, <laughs> they want to know, know can I or can yeah, I can not? Can I or can't I? Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I get. I imagine that's a struggle for a lot of a lot of lawyers. Don't appreciate that. That's the what they're doing. I think they lose. Sometimes we'll lose the forest for the trees. Right. They look. What our client wants is just an answer to a question. Can I do this or can I not do this? And if the answer is not so clear, then tell me the risks and the right. you know the possible risks. Exactly. And I can make an informed decision. So we're trying right. to make our clients. It may not be a yes or no. It may be a, you might be able to, but let me tell you the risks if you do and the rewards if you, you know, or the risks if you don't, right? right. Like give me exactly. both sides. But I think that's what you want. Then let you make an informed decision. I mean, we're trying client. to solve a problem, yeah. right? It's not right. a law school exam. Right. Like, we've got a real world problem that we have to solve. We need to get to an answer that right. hopefully advances, you know, the business's goals. Yeah, yeah it, it can be hard, right? And some of those issues can be right. quite difficult, but you need those practical lawyers. And sometimes it's hard. Like Jeff said, they lose the, you know, you lose the forest through the trees, either very young lawyers or maybe even very old. I mean, I guess I would imagine you as an in-house or as a client are, you know, just looking for an answer that's not carved up with lawyerly caveats, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> I am a lawyer also, so right. I can, I can live in that it. world. Right. right, you get it. <laughs> right. I know there are times, it's not frequent, but when I'll ask one of my firms, I'll put them on the spot. Like, I want a, either opinion on this or a memo on that. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, look, I'm realistic enough to know how. You know, it's going to be qualified, <laughs> right? right? right. Yeah. <laughs> no right. one's going to give you a flat answer on anything, no. right? Not with their. But at the end, there's the going to be an answer, yeah, yeah, not one with the way or the other. Masthead, right? Right. Yeah. But I don't think. I mean, I know you're sort of a little bit tongue in cheek saying you're a difficult client, but I think everything you're asking for is what should be the standard, it's right? Because you're a good lawyer, Brad. No, I, I mean, I, honestly, <laughs> no, I mean, I know, yeah. I know uh, there are several people out here might use worse terms than difficult to describe me, but right. When you're putting out a product, why would you not put your best foot forward, right? At yeah, each and you know, like I was trained that way. Like when I was at that big white shoe firm in New yeah. York, nothing like things went out. They were again, like I said before, they were tight, they were solid, there were no errors, everything mm -hmm. was run down. There were no open questions, you know. So I kind of expect that when I'm paying those kind of fees. Sure, <laughs> right. right. So right. setting aside your expectations, do you think that there has been a general decline? on, you know, the quality of work out there is, I mean, do people tend to be sloppier? And here's why I ask that is because I think we are a little looser now because our primary mode of communication is either email or even worse right. text. And there's typos and it's not like traditional language anymore, you know, so we're a little bit more flexible. Yeah, I mean, look, the stick isn't inserted that far, right? I mean, different media have different <laughs> right, levels yeah. of formality, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I don't so, think it's the specific word choice it's, are there typos? Right. And are you not giving me the advice that I'm looking for? Like the practical advice, right? I mean, you could type a text and use shorthand for TXT. Right, you know, right. That's okay. I don't, I mean, right. I'm speaking for you, but for me, that would be okay. Right. But if you're putting it into a document, yeah, you can't use that. But I'm not looking for big words. Like I don't need all the big fancy words. Just give me the right words in the right spot. Clarity. Right. And make sure that it's clean, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. And look, there are, like you said, there's emails and texts and it's a different, right. it's a different standard, right? I mean, it's depending how you're communicating. But the principle holds, right? Like however you're communicating, even if it's somewhat informally, mm -hmm. at least have your ducks in a row, get it right, yep. be clear. I mean, right. these are basic things you yeah. learned in lawyering, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one of the things we are always, we, you know, we hammer to our attorneys here is that, you know, don't send the client an email that says, here's the issue. What do you think? Like, we never should ask our client what the client thinks. We should say, here's the issue. This is what we recommend. Yeah. Do you agree? Not, and just, here's why we recommend here, you know, it. Here's why we recommend it. Here's yeah. the support for it or whatever, right? right. Yeah, because you're looking to us to make your life easier to me. Right. Like the well, client is hiring a lawyer to make their life easier so that we do the analysis and we make a recommendation. And the client can either agree with it or not agree with it. And, I, you know, I think a lot of lawyers lose sight of that. And I think like, you know, I don't know if all of your clients necessarily have sophisticated in-house departments, right? So maybe right. you're dealing more with business people, yeah, you know, that, operators without that legal background. So I, I would sometimes. go back to what Brett said before, which, you know, I like that kind of list of risks and opportunities with mm -hmm. any kind of answer. Like, well, you could take this path, but here's what might happen. And here's roughly what I think the right. probabilities are. Right. So that we can make an informed, make an informed decision. decision yeah. right? Because, you know, in a, at a bigger corporation, they've got people like me and my team that can evaluate that kind of advice, right? What kind of billing practices cause you to change horses in the middle of a case? <laughs> what are we talking about just generally? Opaque billing. Right. Again, seeing mistakes in the invoices, that's very right. frustrating. You see firms getting their matters mixed up or you oh. see, you're like, who's this guy? Like, there's a name for a phone call. You're like, that person doesn't work here. Right. Like, Don't do that. 
Right. Don't right. bill me for right. somebody else's time. That's if you're sending worst. me a bill for thousands of dollars right. or tens of thousands of dollars or perhaps more, like just come on. Like, right. Read get, that bill. Right. Yeah. Like, get, get, right. get that part right. Get that part right. We also have a rule internally that is the client should never learn about something we did from the bill. Right. Good rule. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a very that good rule. Be, yeah. Oh, yeah. They did a memo. I never saw a memo. <laughs> They're billing me for it. All right. Good stuff. Barry, any parting thoughts besides everyone should be sending their resumes to you? <laughs> not, <I> only, <laughs> not everyone. Just. I don't need, not everyone, only the qualified folks. Okay. So I think we're going to have Barry back to talk about Jeff's law school years, the lost years in law school. Oh, sorry, we're out of time today. Oh, uh, got to go. We'll have you yeah. back. We'll have you back. <laughs> hey, you, thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. It was fun. Yeah, we really Great. enjoyed having you. If you like this episode, please give us a five-star review. Follow us. Share us with your friends and family. And if you want to hear about any topic on a future podcast or you're interested in being a guest, please reach out to us. Thanks, Nelson. Thank you, Nelson. Thank you, Barry. Thanks, Barry. Thanks, Barry. For more information on this show and other resources, visit FastAmron.com and connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at FastAmron.com.